What's up, everybody? You're listening to the Economic Barometer um, with your boy, Sammy. Uh, check me out on my Twitter handle. That's H-R-H-S-A-M-I underscore His Royal Highness, Sammy underscore. Uh, man, yeah. Welcome to my podcast. I know I haven't recorded in a while. Not even a while, man. It's been, what, a week? Two weeks? Yeah, two weeks. Uh, a lot has been happening in those two weeks. Um, what happened? The boy got his results. Uh, I'm graduating. <laughs> um, it was also my birthday. So, you know. Yeah, man, a lot's been happening. But yeah, I'm back now. Um, yeah. Thank you for listening. Really appreciate it. And enjoy the pod, guys. So in this episode, um, I want to talk about money. Money, money, money. Money. Money, 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 money. <laughs> if, if any of y'all watched The Apprentice, y'all probably remember that. I don't know where the actual song is from, but I I heard it on The Apprentice as a kid. I, I, I have no idea why I was watching The Apprentice as a uh, 80-year-old. How old was I? Eight? Nine? Anyway. Um, money, man. How, like, how did we get to accepting these paper squares as... Yo, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Disclaimer, I did go to crash, guys. Um, my bad. These paper rectangles. Um as the thing that they are today. Like how how did we get to a point where we will slave, you know, even kill for these rectangular pieces of paper or slips of paper? And yeah, it's 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 pretty like it's pretty an int- like it, it's an interesting story. It's a pretty interesting story, but you know I won't go too much into the details because I don't want to bore people. Because there's a lot, there's a history that goes about I don't know a couple of thousand years, but I'd like there's a lot to it, and. Yeah, as you probably knew, we the concept of money or the 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 concept of us exchanging things dates as far back as you know the existence of humans. So there's this record that every time we would meet, we would exchange things. All right, um, maize for meat um whatever like if 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 i had something and uh i wanted something else we just exchange for it all right so we used to we used to trade uh amongst ourselves known as you know the coincidence of once all right however this this worked fine until we got to a point where we 
it's not always that I'm going to want the good that you have, right? Or vice versa. If I have maize and you have milk, right? How, how does that exchange happen if I don't want milk, but I want meat? All right. So then now we have to find a third party that... Uh, that 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 wants my good and then you know so it just becomes this long complicated barter trade system which you know uh, early civilization felt the need to get rid of right so they came up with a universal third good which is which is what essentially money is it's a third good that is universally accepted or a unit of exchange so throughout history we can see that anything anything can serve as money right not just like ancient times even like now in modern day depending in like what part or what circumstance people are in, like anything serves as money. So if you go to prisons, cigarettes serve as money. And yeah, so in ancient times, people used um, people used uh, shells, people used rocks, uh, you know, most famously people used gold, silver, some used beads. Um, yeah. So all of these things were known as commodity money. That means they had intrinsic value, right? The This third good had value. You can hold it. You can feel it. No, it's gold, right? So they were known as commodity money. But, you know... And this really worked well for some time um, throughout history. It's worked for you know a couple of hundred years. And then eventually we got to a point where we realized like this is not working. Some of the reasons why commodity money or gold wasn't working was because it was just too heavy, right? So large transactions were a hassle. Uh, it was too heavy. Transporting it was a nightmare. Um, and this was a time when um, the world was basically hostile. Anarchy. Basically, wild, wild west, right? So we're talking about pre-1600s. Mm, is it? Yeah, even like before that um uh yeah 16th century around about there this is when you know people started realizing that uh, gold might not be working the other thing was like debasing so i i mentioned earlier on how anything served as money back in the day so in some cases alcohol Right, so when Europeans used to trade with the Americans, alcohol would serve as a medium of exchange, right? And debasing was 
one of the major flaws of using commodity money. So what debasing is, is basically, you know, you can water down the whiskey. Add Kayang, you know, Kayang Chase. <laughs> or, uh, hey, did y'all ever do this? I don't know how strict your parents were, but my mom used to like, she's so against me having juice, right? Like Mazoe, like concentrate. So she would like monitor where, you know, she would monitor the levels of the Mazoe. <laughs> and what I would do was uh, I would come from school and so I would take juice to school as every other kid. And then when I got home, my mom would she wouldn't be there, she'd be at work, have my lunch, and she would say, Yo, juice is only for school. All right. When you come home, drink water. I'd be like, that's not really working. So what I would do is I would pour myself sweet. You know, Mazoe, Mazoe is what? One is to four, one is to three, something like that. I don't know what the ratio is, but Man, I'd probably be doing the one is to one. And I realized, so my genius plan was that just to maintain, right, the level of juice that would be in the Mazoe bottle, I would add water. So I would pour myself juice, drink it, ah, good. And then I would add water into the Mazoe container. So it would, like, maintain. What my little dumbass didn't understand was that, hey, if someone were to taste this juice, it would be hella watery. And that's how I got caught. Until the one time my mom was like, hey, let me pour you some juice, which was really random, you know. I think it was, like, a weekend. I don't remember the day, but she was at home. And then she was like, yo, do you want some juice? I was like, yeah, pour me some. And then she poured... And after she poured, she like she did the proper ratio. She like put the mazo in and added the water. And then she was like, yo, is it just me or this is looking hella discolored? I didn't understand what was going on. So I tasted it. I was like, mom, did you even put water? This tastes like water. She tasted it and she was like, mm. and then she tasted the concentrate. And yo, man, it was like, it was basically water. But anyway, <laughs> that was a side note. So debasing, people would water down the whiskey, you could melt the gold and then just, you know, have let it dry up with, you know, a little bit less gold content and whatnot. So these are some of the problems that commodity money faced, right? Um, the other sh- issue was scarcity. So... Well, for something to be a good medium of exchange, it needs to be scarce, but not too scarce. So what happens when the when a country doesn't have any more gold, right? Like, you can't have... Like, you. all the gold fields that you had have now run out of gold and you can't mine anymore. What happens, right? So this literally capped uh, nations' economies and they couldn't grow beyond a certain limit. And on the opposite side was that, yo, new new oil fields, new uh, gold fields could, like, could be found. And that could cause inflation. So when 
the the California gold rush or whatever the American gold uh, rush caused major inflation for Europe because the Spanish were just bringing in gold and minerals and whatnot from America and you know Europeans were facing a nightmare on both sides. So having experienced the issues that came with commodity money, um, I guess the First Nation, or one of the First Nations, to introduce some form of paper money was China. So what the Chinese would do is you would go and give the government all of your gold or you know, the money that you wanted to transact with and... The government would give you sort of, you know, a slip or a piece of paper that stated how much you had with them. And you could go and give, you know, this note or this slip to any merchant. And that merchant will, you know, go to the capital and redeem his gold coins as and when he wanted them. And, you know, this isn't the 13th century, but it never really caught on. Uh, until about the 16th century uh, in England. So, during... Who was king at the time? Uh, 16th century. I think it was Charles I. Charles I, is it? Yo, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, I think it's Charles I. 16th century, right? So, Charles I, I think, um, sort of had a squabble with his parliament and then he dissolved parliament but according to british law it is only parliament that could levy taxes so that in essence left um charles the first broke what he then did was he went and raided the mint right this is where everyone would keep their 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 gold for safekeeping right he went raided it and he gave people out sort of like iou notes or you know these slips that people then used to exchange because he had taken all of the gold and you know this is like the first instant or the first traces of paper being exchanged uh, for money, obviously with the assumption that the gold is there somewhere, right? And this is, what, 16th century in England? And yeah, so sort of people got an idea or, you know, got a glimpse of what paper money would feel like and what then happened was goldsmiths so goldsmiths back in the day were the ones that were sort of in charge for, well, they would keep your gold for you until you wanted to use it. So what the goldsmiths would do was they, they, they would keep your gold for you, give you a note um, of how much you have with them and you would go about your day and use that note to transact. And this really 
was the birth of fractional reserve. So what fractional reserve is what modern day banks do. When you go and deposit your $100, they will keep $10, for example. They will keep $10 and then they will loan out the rest, right? Fractional reserving. So through the system, the goldsmiths would take your gold, um, give you paper money, and then based on the amount that you get, that you kept with the goldsmith they would then give out credit and hence you know the birth of fractional reserve right so this happened from the 16th century in the 18th century and there were a number of runs on the bank because what people initially didn't get was that you couldn't print these papers the way you want right or as much as you want because the moment people feel I feel there are a lot of, you know, paper slips floating around in the market. They will come and all run to the bank and claim their gold. And this is known as a run on the bank. And this is when everybody goes to the bank, right, and demands their money. In this case, demands their gold. And throughout the 18th century, there are a number of uh, runs on the bank and... um, Yeah, eventually until, uh, you know, people started fine-tuning this idea of um, paper money, right? So throughout the 18th century, 17th century, um, each bank would print their own note. This caused a headache because, you know, maybe you'd get somewhere and then this note is not acceptable or this bank doesn't have links with that bank. Um, because in essence, what would happen is you would take your note, you'd go give it to, let's say you go to the bar, you go give it to the bartender. That bar would then take that note to their bank and say, hey, there's a person that gave us this note. We want to get our gold. So the bank would then, you know, collect all of these notes send them to the various banks that they came from, and then those banks would then transfer the gold to, you know, these banks that were all over England and the United Kingdom, and that's how it would work. So some banks were not as big as others. They only had one branch. Um, So the fact that each bank had its own notes caused a huge headache up until the 19th century when or the Bank of England, or the Central Bank of England, came and sort of reserved the rights to print money. So they were the only ones that were allowed. This is the first time where a nation had one universally acceptable piece of paper. So the Bank of England bought all the other banks out, and you know it reserved the right uh, to print money, or print these pieces of paper and these pieces of paper were printed in accordance to the amount they had in gold reserves hence the gold standard right so this worked fine um in certain instances countries would sort of overprint however they would you know claw their way back up to maintaining uh you know their gold standard ratio until you know World War One happened, 
So wars are very expensive and you know everyone tensions are high and you know the enemy is coming. Hence governments sort of would abandon their gold standard ratios and so forth and overprint money. Hence Europe during the First World War and after, there was a lot of inflation and also you know, the negative, or I don't think there are any positive sides to a war, but, you know, all the harm and havoc that comes with a war. Hence, there was a lot of overprinting and most of their currencies or most of you know, their paper slips or money lost a ton load of money, a ton of value or whatever. Yeah, you know what I mean. They lost value. And while all of this was happening, you know, America, I think, was the only one that didn't have a war on their soil. And so everyone's gold would go to America because America was, in essence, the factory of the world. They made everything for Europe. Everything. Because the whole of Europe was at war. So... End of World War One. Um, and most of these countries couldn't keep up with their gold standard. They, they couldn't work their way back to maintaining, you know, the perfect ratio between gold and notes circulating in their system. Before they could achieve this, World War Two happened. And World War Two was even more financially draining than World War One. By the end of these two wars, basically, all of Europe's gold was in America. And after World War Two, this is when you know the Bretton Woods system came about, where these countries agreed that every currency, right, would be pegged to the U.S. dollar, and then the U.S. dollar would be pegged to gold. Because the U.S. was the only country that could maintain their gold standard at the time. And this worked well. Everyone agreed with it. All right. Um, so how this would work was that every country would have to keep U.S. dollars in their reserves you know, to redeem the value of their currency. So the amount of U.S. dollars you had in your reserves would translate into X amount of gold, uh, in X amount of gold, e gold, <laughs> which translated to X amount of gold, and, you know, your currency would translate into whatever US dollars you had in your reserves. All right, until 1965, right? This is Charles Legault, the God, the God, Legault. I can't pronounce this guy's name, but yeah, Charles Legault. I think the airport in Paris is named after him. But anyway, in 1965, um, this guy wasn't, you know, he didn't fancy the Americans too much. So he told his Navy, right, guys, take all of the US dollars that France has, ship them to the US and redeem all of our gold. Right. So the French did that and they redeemed all of their gold from... Uh, from the US they went and got all of their bullion and other countries followed suit so by 1971 you know there was 
everyone was redeeming their gold from the U.S. And then at the same time, you know, 1971, this is when you know, the Cold War... America was in a lot of wars, right? There was Vietnam, the Cold War, Korea. So everyone, you know, America was bleeding gold, literally, until Richard Nixon in 1971 basically abandoned the gold standard and said, hey guys, right, the US dollar will be valued at whatever the market thinks it's valued at, right? I'm sure if you listened to, I think it's my second episode where I talked about exchange rates and whatnot, this is the first time where countries adopted a floating exchange rate where the market decides what the value of their currency is and all other currencies soon followed suit and we got to a point where, well, we are at a point where money is Money doesn't have sort of something backing. It's just, you know, it's a construct of our imagination. Like, we believe this is worth this and this is how it's going to work. And basically, that's, you know, this is, this is the, the movie version of money. You know, if you did lit in high school, unless you were into like really, but I like I wasn't. Words in general. And she'd be like, hey, this is the book, or this is the set book we're doing, yada, yada, yada. And you'd go home and watch, you know, the movie. Look, an hour 30, you know, the whole thing. And then the next day, you're giving a book report. And you're saying, you see, so this babe liked this own, but this own didn't like her back because the homie liked her. And he was trying to give the homie a through book. Yeah, so this is like the movie version of how we got to modern day money and how we think about it. And yeah. Money is money is what money does. <laughs> uh there's there's this famous quote by John Wall. He's the agent. I don't know which time period he existed in. Probably late eighteen hundreds. And John Wall famous for saying we accept money as the medium by which things are exchanged not the value for which they are exchanged which is you know deep click fingers click fingers but (laughs) oh man yeah thank you so much for listening um i really appreciate it thank you for all the feedback that y'all have been giving me um hitting me up in the dms Really appreciate it. I think this is a part one. I'll probably do a part two and three. I'm not sure yet. Because, you know, there's a little bit more about money. Because now there is, you know, there's banking and, you know, swipe for stuff and credit cards, debit cards. And we have now sort of started evolving to this unicorn that we're calling cryptocurrency bitcoin and whatnot like what is it is it a scam you know to be honest i really don't understand this bitcoin stuff uh but yeah i'll, I'll give you all my two cents on it but yeah 
I feel like money deserves another episode to sort of you know, delve into what we are going into now and what is this unicorn that we are now will it will it take off will it not i'm not sure i don't think anyone knows but let's see man thank you so much for listening um hit me up on twitter that's uh h s a m i underscore his royal highness sammy underscore once again it's h r h s a m i underscore hit me up with your suggestions criticisms discussions what y'all think about the pod anything you might want me to go into yeah hit me up let me know thank you for listening guys 